0: Privilege, what a privilege! I love that man so much. I love his bride, and I have come to love your community, even though I don't know you yet. Thank you for. Uh, I, I am. I have prayed that I would be funny and winsome, so that you would trust me this much, so that that truth could come in, and not just knowledge and information, but. Discernment and wisdom and insight—that's yes. that's what I'm praying for. Thanks. Well, I was supposed to be great. I can't find them; they're in my attic, but I've seen them. They're two ribbons, uh, 1964, 1965. I would have been 11 and 12. Um, Camp Oaks. Camp Oaks, a 50-yard dash. I won it both years. I mean, Southern California kids, the, 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 the best of the best of, 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 of camp kids at, <laughs> at Big Bear, uh, that area. But for me, what do I know? I don't know that there's a Europe. I just know that I just won two years in a row in the 50-yard dash, and I might be one of the greatest runners of our time. <laughs> I, I start doing the math. I'm going to be too young for the Mexico City Olympics, but Montreal, and that's it. So, so I'll make the Montreal Olympics, and uh, I may not get first, but I can see myself placing. And I don't know if you read the papers. I didn't make it. And a part of me I'm a kid with dreams and hopes and things that I think that this body can give me and do, it's, it starts to die. That's okay, because the, the Beatles are around <laughs> by that time, a little band, a little regional band, and I love the Beatles. I couldn't, I just couldn't get enough. They, they, they were huge, and and, and I just remember, uh, I, I got a Beatles wig, and I had a tennis racket, and I would sing into the speakers. Do you remember? Oh, I need your love, babe. I guess you know it's true. Hope you need my love, babe. Just like I need you, oh, oh, hold me, love me, hold me, love me. Ain't got nothing but love, babe. Do 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 do. Eight a week. Oh. And I knew I was not as good as McCartney, but. I actually thought I had a better voice than Lennon, and so I was going to be in a in a band like the Beatles, only bigger, and 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 maybe you heard the name of our group. Uh, we were one of the truly the best bands in the three-block area around my home. Uh, we were Metallic Wax. Uh, is that the coolest name? Metallic wax, not fully metallic, not fully wax, but <laughs> metallic wax. <laughs> I was the drummer and lead singer, and um, I think girlfriends and our just general lack of talent was our undoing. <laughs> and by 1968, we, we had disbanded and even though I'm playful about it, another piece of me dies. Another piece decays. Because I keep learning more and more things that I cannot do. Interesting in, I I always find myself leading off a message sometimes um, out of Genesis, but it teaches starting points so much. Listen to the, Chapter 3, there's uh, amongst the many lies that Satan is involved in at the start, I want to pick out two here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field which the Lord had made, and he said to the woman, (laughs) indeed has God said that you shall not eat from any tree in the garden and 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 the woman said to the serpent yeah 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 from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat but but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die (laughs) and the serpent said to the woman come on you're not going to die For the Lord knows the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, to everything she could see. All of a sudden, trust and obedience to this one. Are you telling me I can be wise without having to obey? or trust him and this is so beautiful it has to be real give me the fruit the the, the two lies that I see here is is first he says you're not going to die I know you see death all around you and everybody seems to by 100 years old or so they seem to go off the planet but, but probably not you you're going to live forever. I mean I, I mean, I don't have a scene in my head for me leaving the planet. I, otherwise, my conversations would be different. My, my, the things I want to impart would be different, but I guess I just feel like it's maybe the strongest conspiracy of denial our race carries. Somehow I can live as though I believe that I'm not going to die. And the second lie is this outer man, this talent, this this skin, this voice, this whatever, it's enough to fulfill me. It's beautiful to my eyes, and I'm willing to disregard the very God who made me and adores me to make that my primary goal. The outer man is enough to fulfill me. The talents, the ability, what I bring to the table from as young as we can remember, we're taught to put so much weight on it. Our superior genes or appearance or skills or storytelling ability or endurance or health or sharp recall or uh, technical memory or health. We found something that we're good at in one form or another. It, It kind of started to form our identity. And then Paul in the New Testament says, can I I just challenge that for a moment? And he says in in this verse that is blowing my mind these days. I can't get away from it. I keep speaking out of it. He says, "Um, do you know that the outer man, this thing that you might want to put your identity on, it is most surely and certainly decaying. It is. Those are hard words to hear. Our outer man, um, let me see, the external, physical, tangible expressor of the real internal me. It's excluded from the external, eternal, it's excluded from the eternal life of Jesus in me. (laughs) Have you noticed about 30, about age 30, everything starts to reverse its trajectory. <laughs> the brain stops producing in the same way at about age 24. The lungs, the heart, the kidney, and the muscles at about 35 to 40. Uh, muscle mass at age 40 starts to leave at 2% a year. I'm 65. Do the math. I have no muscle mass, apparently. (laughs) At 55, we lose control of our DNA. It's why cancers become more prevalent in that season. Only Only the liver seems to be immune. Go figure that out. It keeps regenerating itself till about 70. Now, this message is hard because I've spent so much of my life trying to convince you that this is enough. Now, by the way, this is not an AARP message, okay? (laughs) I wish I had trusted this message at age seven. Now, there's nothing wrong and everything right with the outer man. God made it specifically and uniquely. He loves it. It's how I experience the world. It's how the world experiences me. But there is this thing, this theological term for this real, actual thing inside all of us called my flesh. Not my skin, but this dynamic called the flesh. That unregenerate, subversive, false reality in me that tries amidst a dozen other lies to convince me to place my value and lovableness in my transitory flesh. The talents of my transitory flesh. And at some point, after enough broken dreams, after enough camp oaks and metallic wax bands, it starts to take its toll. This daily encroaching awareness begins to siphon our joy and passion and confidence and vision and interest, one of the major sources of depression midlife crisis and a dozen other monikers. I have a friend. He's a high school friend. And we went to lunch the other day or afternoon. I can't remember. Over at Postino's on the west side. And he says to me, my wife thinks I'm dying. He's a dear high school friend. And he says... I I said, what do you mean? He says, I feel like I wake up and I do my job and I do my stuff, but I don't know why anymore. I feel like I've wasted my life, like I missed something, like there was a purpose for me and I missed it. And now I'm just going through the motions. I'll come back to him. When you put your weight on the fulfillment of your outer man, You'll feel diminished, but you'll try to bluff like you aren't. You will compete with all who threaten your greatness. You will get devastated by its eventual failure. You will feel like God hasn't given you the best life. And you'll desperately try to recreate what used to work. You will at some point feel like you've wasted your life. And you'll find yourself daydreaming, living in the past. And you will eventually lose heart. Others may not see it, but you most certainly will. Gosh, what do I do? This outer man has been my best friend for so long. How would I ever come to grips with its drifting and fading and decaying? All those things that I made my stand so that you would love me. I love what, Paul says, I love how beautiful this verse is, just this single verse. He says, okay, so we're not going to lose heart because even though this outer man is truly decaying all the time, nothing you can do to stop it, you don't lose hope because um, there's an inner man And it is being renewed every single day. It's an inner man. It's the real you. It's being renewed every moment while you sleep. Every single day. Oh, enter the hero in the narrative. The inner man, Christ in you. The real you, the new, fully regenerated, recreated being, who you most are. The real you, beyond appearance or the tease of talent, the eternal you, the endlessly able you, the endlessly existing you, the only knowable you, the only lovable you, the only loving you, the spiritually powerful you, the trustworthy and faithful you, the sustaining and fulfilling you. Every every single moment, he says, "Yeah, yeah, I know you're decaying, but we don't lose heart." Yes. Oh man, we gain so much hope because this is happening, and it will not stop. How do I describe it? It's the opposite of decay. It causes me to experience newly what's already been made new. Now, make sure you get this: the moment you put your hope in Christ, you got everything you're ever going to get. It's not like every day there's new raindrops from heaven. You, you are a brand new creature. The moment, December 23rd, 1979, I got everything. I got all the Holy Spirit. I got Christ in me. I got everything. But it's like, um, it's, it's like having nutrient-complete soil fully dense and rich with everything soil needs. And now God is just taking a shovel and just turning it over so the soil can get light and oxygen. And it starts to work its way out. Now it starts to touch other people. And this life that you wondered, will it ever count? It starts to count Renewal is discovering the untried you, releasing into the visibly active you. Jesus is progressively revealing life more wonderfully to me. Jesus, in the midst of all that stuff, he is progressively revealing me more wonderfully to me. Instead of me beating myself up all the time, I get to say, I'm Christ in me. I'm a delight. The angels laugh when I enter the room. They enjoy me. Jesus is progressively revealing him more wonderfully to me. I just more and more can't stand being away from his presence and his delight. And I never am away from his presence or his delight. And so if I had a slide, it would go like this. The art of living is coming to peace with my decaying outer man by learning to value as more important this new life that God's revealing in my inner man. And it's happening apart from anything you bring to the table. Now. Now. 24 hours every day, whether you want or not, whether you ask for it, whether you deserve it, whether you're in a bad season or not, whether you're away from God in your mind or not. Yeah, but what if I'm not on my game? What if I'm not close? What if I'm in sin? It cannot be stopped. You cannot stop it. It's happening right now in this room to every single one of you. All of us. Ow! Can I get a wolf howl? Ow! Yeah, baby, that's renewal. I hear it. Oh, guys. Let, let, me, let me give you a little, yeah, baby. Let me give you a little bit of a story. So, so, so this kid grew up, um, and I could pitch. I could pitch baseball. Student body. I became an all-state baseball pitcher from Washington High School. And I was student body president, and the homecoming queen was my girlfriend. It was very good to be John Lynch back then. <laughs> and then in college, I blew my arm out. This is, this is a sad part of the story. Um, the homecoming queen left me for a better pitcher. <laughs> oh, sure, you laugh, it's my life, but go ahead. <laughs> No, I, I, don't, I don't blame her. I mean, he had a slider that dropped off the table. I, I mean, I was attracted to him. Yeah. <laughs> but something in her going away, something in her knowing me for that long and um, leaving me, it left me with a huge layer of shame. Shame, you know what shame is. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there is something uniquely wrong with you. Yes. And this jock kid, this straight arrow who had never had two beers, suddenly left the straight life. And I checked out. I bought a 60 Volkswagen with a rag top, and I drove around the country and I did every drug I could get my hands on And I slept with women who were not my wife. And I was just waiting for things to wrap up. I was so broken hearted and so devastated. All the decay was lumping in together. See, John, this is who you are. By age 27, I had risen to the, the high uh, position uh, in, in commerce, uh, to spray painting addresses on curbs. And I was giving my plasma to buy more dope. Then I had the thought one day, you know what, I, I ought to go into teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Here, kids, come, follow me! <laughs> but I did. And I got a teaching certification for, uh, to teach... High school English and drama. And the first play I cast, I didn't know it, I was teaching at Arcadia High School in Phoenix. And uh, the first play I cast, um, a bunch of the kids, unbeknownst to me, were young life kids. <laughs> and somebody gave me a um, Keith Green album and a Bob dylan's slow train coming and i thought if bob dylan's becoming a christian man the boat door is about to close i better get on (laughs) and uh someone gave me the great divorce by c.s lewis and i watched jesus of nazareth on tv and for whatever reason december 23rd 1979 jesus come into my heart forgive my sins i'm yours I don't care. Whatever you want to do, I'm all in. I believe you're Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And um, wow. Can you imagine now Jesus? He knew I was going to become a Christian, but now Jesus um, <laughs> having to renew me every hour of every day. You know he had to stretch a lot before he, whew, okay, all right. You're saying Lynch is in, huh? Okay, all right. <laughs> and he's been doing it from the very start. See, see, the moment I put my hope in Christ, I thought, this is it. I'm going to be great just in the Christian realm. And so I started doing the same stuff, and I was getting so tired. So tired of being someone that I was not. And so, um, shick, tick, 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 tick. Matthew 20, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, I got to read and start to believe. Come here, kid. I know you're weary and tired. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Yes. Come here. Come here. It's all right. I'm humble and meek and you will find rest. I got you. And then, even, even though he said that, I was sure, even by the behaviors that I'd done in this first year of my faith, I thought, he's got to be disgusted with me. And so, um, John fifteen nine. I read John fifteen nine. It blew my heart. As the Father has loved me, so also I love you. Stop for a second. Listen to what he's saying. To the exact extent, Jesus talking, that my Father loves me, to the exact extent that my Father eternally has loved me and loves me now, so also I love you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. 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 And I read it, and I said, maybe. And then, then, I, then I'd read, I started to read more. I started to read Romans 8, 1, where he says, there is now for no condemnation of John Lynch, ever. How can that be? How could that possibly ever be? And then I kept going. I started being a preacher. I went to seminary, but I felt like a fraud. And so he'd have me read 2 Corinthians. Where he says, "Um, John, this is who you are. He, God, made him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin, who had never sinned, to actually become my sin in a moment's time. So that I would in a moment's time become the actual righteousness of God in him. Not someday, not maybe not forensically, not judicially, but actually. Righteous. Christ in John Lynch, actually righteous. Maybe not mature, but actually righteous thought, how can this be? My self-righteousness is all I've known. So he took me to Philippians 3, where Paul says, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness my own derived from the law of all the things I could do, should do, would do. But that which comes through trusting Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, So who am I? And he kept going. He wouldn't stop. I kept reading this word and I couldn't get enough. He says, this is who you are, John, and it will never change. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer the old John Lynch who lived. But Christ lives in me. All day long. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's who you are, John. But I keep failing and I beat myself up. And he he took all these verses and started to fuse them to me. This fused life in Christ. He started and he would say, John, do you want to trust me? And at first I said, I can't. I just can't. Please don't ask me. Ask me anything but that. But, but, but that's the one thing I can't do because I've trusted myself all my life. I don't trust anybody really, says John. It's on the basis of faith, kid. Hebrews eleven six. without trust, it's impossible to please me. I can do everything, I, everything in the world. And he says, you'll never please me enough and you'll never learn to trust me. But if I dare believe that I wear a robe of righteousness on my worst day, that I'm Christ in me, and that he, the sovereign God, adores me and will never condemn me, has made me righteous, listen to what he says, you're doing it, kid, you're trusting me. And by the way, you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. And so eventually he says, John, do you want to trust me? No, i got to keep beating myself up. Won't that please you? He goes, no, I'm really weary of that. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore, kid. Do you want to trust me? Okay. Okay. And for minutes at a time, this guy trusts him. And now God sits seven rows back in that empty seat with his arms behind his head and his feet up on the chair. And he smiles and he thinks, I'm really good at this. Hmm. If I bluff of my outer man's superiority, you will begrudgingly be impressed but intimidated and darkly envious. But if I let you see how incredible I am in my inner man, you'd be stunned and encouraged and known and safe, and you would want to be my friend. Now listen to me. This is why you cats need each other. This is why we have to get to know each other. I have to earn the right to be safe enough for you to trust me. When I say, I see it. I see what he's doing. I'm watching it. You. He's renewing you. You're different than you were even four months ago. I see it happening. My friend, my high school friend that I met at Postino's, so after an hour and a half of us being together, I said to him, you sound great. You're funny. You're erudite. You're cool. You still have great political and social and cultural perspectives. I said, you sound great. And he said, it's because I'm with you. Now listen, I, previously I met him twice a year. And he needed me all along. I was one of those people that, that he trusted my eyesight could see him. And without me, without Christ in me, he lost confidence in who he was. Now I, I've gotten on this app now called Marco Polo. Um, it's just simply because every day now I can communicate with him. I can see his eyes, and he can see my eyes. And I can say, kid, my friend, I see it. It's happening. <laughs> and my friend's a different man right now. How much obedience does it take for this to happen? How much quiet time would release this? How much prayer and Bible reading? Zip, nada, none. It's happening whether you want it or not. Your job now is only to note what's being renewed and take courage that you're right on time. This is what renews your hope. You drink it in. And you say, okay, I believe you. We've got to stop saying, I'm such an idiot, I'm a screw up, I should have gotten this by now. It's, it's, no. Instead, you get to say, You're doing this in me, God. Your grace is working. So I ignore what hasn't yet matured. I just, I know it's over there, but I ignore it and I say, what is God doing in me that wildly overpowers the decay in my outer man? This is true about me very recently. Very just, I could say this just recently. Because there's people like my wife and my dear friends and others on uh, Marco Polo and this man right over there. are telling me they can see it. I'm actually learning to like the real me. I really dig John Lynch. And you may say, no, no, no. You're not supposed to say that. I've got Christ in me. It'd be alright for me to like me. I'm better at catching myself hiding socially. I'm getting better at letting myself be loved when I'm hurting physically. I'm better at owning my wrong more quickly. I am more at peace with my limitations. I'm listening to your pain and sadness more authentically. I'm better at noticing when my grandchildren need my protection. And I'm letting others love me in my decay and limitations. And I am... Oh my gosh, I am better at resting in the love of Jesus. I'm getting more and more comfortable resting in the love of Jesus. Now, now, let me tell you the beautiful thing that God does now is once I get this true, He says, now, 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 don't ignore what you have. Even, even, even though it's decaying, the beautiful thing that could happen is your outer man combined with your inner man and you aware of it and the healing that takes place and now this opportunity that I've been waiting to do for all your life (laughs) it's called destiny it's better than potential it's better than talent it's this fused with each other this old man with bad feet, decaying, fused with this maturing in my inner man. I'm getting to live out my destiny. It freaks me out. It's so beautiful. Never thought I'd get to live this life. This is your God. This is not just for me. This is for every single One of us. Jesus, I'm more comfortable in just letting you love me. Not by any technique, not by any program, not by any conference. And if you want to love me, if you say I'm your favorite and I think you do, I think you think I'm your, you're my favorite. I'm your favorite. I love that. John in the gospel, he thinks that he's, Jesus' favorite. Did you ever notice? Throughout the whole gospel, he goes, when he refers to himself, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) He actually believed these hay seeds. He likes them, but oh, does he love me? I'm starting to feel that way. And this gives me hope. And I find myself saying, um, Jesus, this is so much easier than I thought it was going to be. And Jesus says back, I'm so happy you say that. And so, ooh, I need your love, God. I know that you know it's true. You choose to need my love, God, just like I need you. Oh, hold me. Love me. Hold me. Love me. <laughs> I. And you ain't got nothing but love, God. Eight days the week. Eight days the week. Eight days the week. Ding, 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 ding. Ding.